everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Third and Nerd podcast. Today, I am going to be going at it alone. Adam was sick this past weekend, so we had a show planned, and we had to cancel it. But I had uh, I'd actually been talking to my buddy Gray about talking to the guest that I'm going to have on today, but on our American Citizens podcast discussing Manchester City. So I'm really going to be bugging Chris for a second after interview after this one is over. But I want to introduce uh, formerly of, I want to say, football scoop or was it coaching search? I can't remember which one was you, Chris. <laughs> it, was, it was coaching search. That's right. It was coaching search for you. Uh, and now currently writing with The Athletic, Chris Benini. Man, it has been a pleasure. We, we, I know we've touched base several times, uh, but this is the first time we've gotten to talk, man. Salute. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, and we've talked on Twitter plenty over the years, so uh, it's nice to finally kind of meet you. For sure, for sure. Um, so what I want to get started with is kind of talk about Chris is a huge nerd. He works in athletics, uh, similar to myself, similar to Gray, similar to some of the other people that we've had on this podcast. But Chris is a huge nerd guy too. Um, Chris, I want to, let me just start with a basic question. Like when, how, how did you get involved in comics, video games, anything that you could classify as nerd culture? Was it growing up or was it like something you hit in your more formative years? No, it, it was growing up. I mean, when, when I was a kid, I didn't really get into sports until, I mean, I played sports, but I didn't get into following sports until about middle school. Before the, until then it was cartoons, comics. Um, pro wrestling, that kind of stuff. So it, it started at an early age. And my earliest comic memories is that I used to do karate as a kid. And uh, like every every other time that we would go, we'd stop at the gas station on the way and I'd get a snack or something. And I'd all, I'd always grab a Sonic the Hedgehog comic. I, they, they used to, I don't know if it's still around, but there was a comic Sonic the Hedgehog comic series that I got really into as a kid. I, I think I, I still have them all. Uh, summer. So that really got me into comics, the, the Sonic, uh, then kind of, you know, periodically read different superhero ones. I never got into a, a long arching story in comics, uh, superhero comics, but um, so it's kind of been around. And as I've gotten older and into college, out of college, kind of got back into a lot of that stuff, especially pro wrestling over the last five, six years. So it's kind of all come back uh, like that. Has it been weird for you to sort of see things that were Let's let's be real. A lot of kids love that stuff when we were kids, but then you hit that like age thirteen, age fourteen, and if you still watched pro wrestling or whatnot when you when you were our age, like you kind of fell into that quote unquote loser category once you hit high school. And this wasn't everybody's experience experience, but I know there were plenty of us that had that experience is it weird for you to see stuff that you loved as a child now uh, everywhere yeah, I, I think so I, I mean especially with pro wrestling and as it, as it comes to twitter like it's even over the last five years all of a sudden pro wrestling was a was a weird thing on twitter and now you know, a bunch of sports writers or other people on Twitter tweet tweet about something that's going on all the time. You got WrestleMania coming up or something like that. Or, I mean, now, I mean, the Marvel movies are obviously so incredibly mainstream that it's weird if you haven't seen them or haven't seen them. So it's it's nice because it allows you to, especially on social media, kind of be more open about things that are outside your profession if you're a sports writer. And, and my Twitter account certainly is. And I've 
probably lost certain followers because of it. But I've also, I think I have a deeper relationship with people through that. I, I, I've made a lot of real life friends through it. Uh, I've gotten jobs through it. I think it just kind of helps me show my personality more that these things are no longer weird and, and, and nerdy is kind of cool now, I guess. And it's kind of a, a throwback to when everybody, everybody remembers it when they were a kid. And now a lot of us have reached, the, the kids who grew up on social media have now reached the age where we can control the dialogue and we can bring back things that we like this again and talk about them. Yeah, I think that's what's important is that we're able to control the dialogue. When, how do you balance it? Because I've, I've noticed, I remember, and you bring up pro wrestling, so let's start there. I remember, and in, in like you said, a couple of years ago, I remember sports writers used to just get so livid on Twitter when other sports writers would actually tweet about pro wrestling. And be yeah, like, yeah. These, these are adults in tights, and it's acting. It's not real. Like, okay, bitch, Game of Thrones isn't real either, but you don't miss that every week, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, right. Well, what is it about pro wrestling do you think that makes it to where guys feel like you're less macho if you watch it? Because by all rights, dude, there's nothing unmacho about what they do. You have to be in seriously top physical condition to pull that off. So, so Colin Coward was a big push against this, make fun of wrestling fans uh, on his radio show. He would do this all the time. And now Fox, just recently signed a big TV deal with WWE for later this year. And Colin Coward was at a wrestling show. He was behind the scenes and he's not making the same comments he was anymore because now, uh, now there's money involved. And, and WWE has really made a push since over the last 10 years or so to become more mainstream and less soap opera, lowbrow humor type of stuff. And I think, uh, the long term has, has legitimized it. Celebrities are, are on it all the time. Colin Jost and Michael Che were on Monday Night Raw the other day, and they really made a push to be more mainstream, to get more mainstream advertising dollars. And as a result, it, it's opened it up to a more peripheral audience. The, the TV ratings are way down compared to where they used to be when I was a kid. There's less hardcore fans, but there's a greater audience through uh, social media through 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 YouTube through all sorts of different uh, medias and they legitimize themselves as a company and I think that's brought everybody along with it now where it's not uh, it's not crass to like wrestling like maybe it used to be like a lot of people remember. See, I feel like the the push into the mainstream started back when Raw had the anonymous general manager and Michael Cole was 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 reading the Apple tweets. I called them. Um, uh, I, I felt that back then they would try and get a new uh, guest host every week, somebody that could push the agenda, add their own flavor to it. And I kind of felt that's when WWE started to push more into the mainstream. You started to realize that Vince McMahon, he wasn't going to go back to the uh, the Attitude Era or, or the things that made the Attitude Era popular. Um and and I felt like that's when maybe this push started. What what when did you notice the push for WWE? You know, I would see like I was out of it during that anonymous GM stuff. I if there's, I think one of the big pushes was when they launched the WWE Network, which was really ahead of its time, and I, I still think it's the future of what pro sports 
is going to to go to. Um, they changed the logo. It was no longer a scratch logo. It was a nice refined logo. And you, you kind of just saw these things happening. You know, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon become key executives. Triple H shaves his ponytail. Uh, Stephanie McMahon is, is the, the brand officer and talks about all these brandy buzzwords now. And it was it was it was kind of a, a gradual shift like that. And that's probably when I I think it started when they when they were no longer going to rely on. Uh, the pay-per-view money, it was going to be directly to the consumers through something like the WWE Network. You there? Sorry, talking and I had myself on mute. Uh, I was was talking, I was was going back and I was talking about uh, NXT. I said, Triple H doesn't get enough credit when you talk about sports executives. NXT has been his brand. He was the one that sort of launched the impetus for NXT, pushed NXT, and built NXT actually into a brand that now rivals the WWE, even though they're under the same banner. A lot of people prefer NXT house shows. Uh, When you look up the pantheon of sports executives, how do you look at Triple H? Uh, he's definitely, for those who don't know, NXT is basically the developmental system for WWE. They basically created their own minor league promotion where they, they get uh, guys from other promotions. They get young guys who are just getting into wrestling, and they eventually move them up up the chain. I, I think he I think he absolutely has always had the his eye on the ball when it comes to the future. Vince McMahon was a, a trailblazer when it came to television and 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 pay-per-view and stuff like that but but when it comes to the wrestlers themselves and what and what they're doing Triple H has absolutely been on the money with everything everything NXT does is 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 superb and whenever that comes that he takes over for Vince McMahon I think it's it's going to be another boost uh boost for them what do you think Triple H is going to do when that time comes because I've been super curious about that and I've heard a number of different ideas. You know, Triple H is kind of a fan of the Attitude Era. I mean, and it's hard not for him to be. After all, that's when he blew up. Like, so very few people actually remember his 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 Hunter Hearst Helmsley days and his wars with the uh, with the Godwin family, Phineas I and Henry O, Hog and Pig. Uh, I'm not sure if you were even watching back then, but. No. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's so amazing to watch that dudes come up from just a guy that was, was, was a mid-card guy to a guy who now wields incredible influence. What do you think he does with WWE when it's his turn? You know, it's I, I don't know him personally, but through the various documentaries that WWE has put out, and I know it's their own spin on things, but a lot of those guys in the clique at the time who would – really kind of changed the face of, of pro wrestling in the 90s. He was, Triple H was always a straight man. He wasn't the guy who would get crazy hammered and act irresponsibly like a lot of the other guys. What they said. I mean, they, they say he was always their designated driver or something like that. So he's always, he's always had a smart mind for the future. And where things go from here, I don't think it's the attitude, Eric. I think what's missing, and the, I think the best thing he'll bring whenever he takes over is just, basic storytelling fundamentals. Like, it's just so not happening in the product these days. You know, when you go back and watch an old episode of 
the editor there in the in the 90s but i don't miss his the girls in the bikinis or the or the swearing or the or the yeah. or the or the blood or the stuff like that what or this big man telling women to strip down to yeah. their thongs no, and get what, what, what you what you miss is from beginning to end there was an arc within the episode there was some there was a story that something started at the beginning and it built throughout the episode and you got to the end now you have a three-hour show. Something happens at the beginning. You don't see these people for another two and a half hours. It's just so segmented right now, and every character is not a character. They're a brand, and it's like they're they're there to do what that character always does and not evolve. And it's like every it's it's, it's something that's always kind of bothered me. Now is that these characters don't evolve and, and act like normal people normally would. So when you look at NXT, you're seeing that. And yes, NXT only has one hour a week, much less TV time to fill, but there's just, I, it's, it's hard for me to watch Raw right now. I, I don't watch. I agree. It's been, a long, it's been a long time since I watched a full Raw from start to finish. For, to have something that's three hours long and half of it just doesn't make any sense, half of it means absolutely nothing, Half of it, it, the other half, the third half is completely predictable. You can see it coming from a mile away. It's just, it's just, there's no storytelling, and 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 I I think, I think that's the biggest thing Triple H will, because it all comes back to Vince. Vince is still the head. He, everything that happens is, he has the final say on. And so I'm, I'm just looking forward to whenever we get to that point, to get back to actual episodic television and not every episode being a variety show, which is basically what it is now. All right, let's get some specifics here. Let's talk about guys that you would like to see get a heavy push. Not the guy. And, 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 and we know there's been guys that have gotten their heavy push, or maybe some guys actually have had a pretty heavy push, but we've not seen them get a strap or, or really the due that they deserve. Let's, let's say your top three wrestlers right now that you think are not getting the push they should have. And that can include people who are leaving or who have left, if you feel like that. If so you feel I, like I, Yeah. So I think where they're going with Kofi Kingston and the New Day right now is, is what they've needed for a while, which was a big singles push from somebody in that group. We always thought it was going to be Biggie, but Kofi has come in and done a great job, and I, I'm looking forward to where that goes with him and Daniel Bryan. So I guess someone is kind of already there. Uh, another one is um, – the Revival, Dash and Dawson. I know they're the tag team champs, but they've lost like almost every match since they won the belts. And th- their guys, I mean, you remember from NXT, just such great storytelling in the ring when they have their matches. And I, I would just, in general, like tag team matching, to, tag team wrestling to, to matter. I mean, you watch an NXT pay-per-view, they always open with a tag match, and it's always incredible and just out of your seat. So good. That's another thing, I guess, from Triple H takes over is that tag team wrestling will matter again. But but those guys are, are really good, uh, Dash and Dawson, the Revival, and I, I would like to see them get more. I mean, they have the belts now, but it's like I, I want to see I want to see these guys treated with respect as as um as not lo- not losing via disqualification, count out, or having to choose yeah. like non clean victories. Yeah, and another one, and similar deal here, Samoa Joe. Just won the universe, uh, the, the United States Championship. He's got he's got everything you could want. He's, his promos have been just absolutely savage over the last couple months. He always gets you uh, interested in something, and the intensity is always there. You, you you look at old promos back from the '90s. So many guys are talking with intensity, not 
not sarcasm like every promo is these days. Samoa brings it in the promos, and he's obviously a great wrestler. And and, and I think Kevin Owens is kind of in the same boat there with Samoa Guys who I, I think you could really build a main event storyline around, and they have the chops on the mic to, to, to sell you on it and advance it. I would have to say I would have started with Dean Ambrose. I, I, I understand. No, actually, I would have started with Kofi Kingston because he's currently in, and I think – I have felt for some time that Kofi is a wrestler that uh, they've not really done right by. Like, the guy is so entertaining. He's so good at what he does. And he's been a company man who doesn't complain. He doesn't gripe. He doesn't uh, bring up what many would consider, like, a fair point. Like, this guy's been been doing work for the WWE for the longest time, been one of their uh, biggest money makers, biggest sellers, and, and there's not really been a push to get that guy over. Um, it kind of bums me out because I think he's, uh, in addition to the fact that the WWF, WWE has a long, let's say, complicated history with putting straps on anybody who's uh, black, um, I, I felt like Kofi had momentum early on in his career for a major push, and then they just kind of turned him into a money in the bank or a, a ladder match kind of guy, which is fine because he's great at that stuff. But there comes a point where, okay, we've seen all that from Kofi. I would like to see this guy who does tremendous storytelling in the ring and out of the ring when he cuts his promos. I would like to see him get his just due. Um, yeah. Dean Ambrose is probably another one. I understand why he left the WW, um, WWF, WWE, and then um, I would say Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was on the Dolph train for a long time, but I, I'm, I'm kind of off it now, and I don't even think it's his fault. But it's just, you know, it's something it, we can't keep doing this anymore. Yeah, his character hasn't grown or evolved. He's gone from either heel to face, face to heel, but you've never seen any true involvement. You know what I tell you I'd love to see? I'd love to see Dolph drop the name and just come out as Nick Nemeth. Come out as 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 the Kent State champion that that dude was, you know? Like, embrace the college side of things. Come out almost a throwback to Kurt Angle, if you will. When Kurt Angle came to the WWF after winning his gold medal from the Olympics, um, I would definitely love to see that because he was such a great college wrestler as it was. But, yeah, yeah. I totally understand your point, though, of he kind of had his moment. And, and, and to be fair to him, he botched his own moment, you know. <laughs> kind of, well, I mean, kind of. I mean, he, he wins the, the World Heavyweight Championship and he gets that concussion. And that sucks because they finally pulled the trigger on him. And he gets hurt, and then he got hurt again, I think, right after that or something. So that was really unfortunate timing. And a lot of these guys – I thought I remember he said something, too. Am I wrong about that? Did he I, not? I, I, was it I don't just remember. I, just remember he, I remember he got concussed after he won that uh, after he won that World Heavyweight Championship, which was a huge moment. I love it, and it would have been fun to see where that went. But a lot of these guys, as they're getting their push, a lot of guys get injured right as it comes. Finn wins the Universal Championship and gets hurt. Gets hurt. And – you don't necessarily blame Vince for turning back to the big guys who seem to be more, uh, have better, uh, they don't get injured. It's weird that Brock Lesnar just doesn't get injured, right? Well, then again, he never does. He, he's not, he's not a dude that's doing a whole lot on a week to week basis. Um, so I guess it's not weird that he gets injured, doesn't get injured. 
Um, yeah, Finn Balor is the guy. I was actually really surprised to see the total amount of money that Finn Balor makes from uh, the WWE. I didn't think he would uh, would be hauling in that much. I want to say it's like one or two million a year. He's actually one of their better paid superstars. I um, saw that. That was a weird. It was a weird story because what do you uh, make of Brock's pay? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I how much I buy that whole deal because it was weird because. Uproxx was citing an article in the Mirror. The Mirror was citing an article from some Birmingham, England newspaper. And that Birmingham, England newspaper wasn't citing anything, like documents or anything. So I'm not sure how accurate that stuff was. It wouldn't surprise me if the highest paid woman made such low proportion to what the men make. Um, but I, I can't, I couldn't buy that report just because the source, as, as a reporter, the sourcing on it seemed very weird and, and suspect, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was true, but I didn't know what to make of it because the sourcing was weird. It's also hard for me to believe that Brock Lesnar came into the WWE and made more than The Undertaker. Like, by not a significant, by, by not a small amount either. I want to say The Undertaker was at, like, four million a year. Like, you expect me to believe that Brock Lesnar makes eight million more than The Undertaker? Like, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> it could be true. I don't know. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about how you incorporate your nerd in into your regular day-to-day life. Um, you, you got the job through The Athletic. I remember this because I saw you tweet about it. Uh, you had actually tweeted Stewart and asked him uh, for career advice. And that eventually led to a job at the athletic, along with your great work at coaching search. Um, it led it led to the job. How how does the athletic? And I know that they do because my friend Joe Goodberry writes for them too. How does the athletic allow you guys to incorporate your nerd into your day to day writing? Well, it's it's you know I, I wrote something last fall, which is something I had worked on for months to try to get to come down. I wrote about WWE and college football. And it, it, what I like about working for the athletic is you can take, you can take your time on things. You don't need to find like there's a quota of posts you got to get up per day. Cause you're, you're trying to get the maximum amount of clicks because of advertising. It's solely about people saying I'm willing to pay to access to read this stuff. And from the very beginning, we've gotten uh, the feedback of, People like that. They, they're, they're willing to pay money to know that they're not going to get advertising, to know that when they read something, there's going to be a lot of thought and effort put into it. And the more time and effort we put in stories, the more the more successful the story ends up being. So that's been a great uh, baseline for the business model. And so I had wanted to do a story in the off season a year ago about how – uh, how football players, how college football players get into pro wrestling. And I was going back and forth with WWE at this time of year and weren't really getting back to me on things. I went to WrestleMania last year as a fan. I actually found the PR guy who I'd been talking to, him talking to him in person. Eventually over the summer, I, I, I get in touch with another guy. And, and by this point, the athletic has grown enough that people know what it is. So I was able to do a story. I talked to Roman Reigns. I talked to Big E. I talked to Titus O'Neil, I talked to Jim Ross, and I put together a, a story about how college football players transitioned to pro wrestling. And that was just really fun. It was something, it was all my interests, like, packed together in a story, and I really liked that I got to do it. It ended up running in the fall, and the feedback was great, and people liked it. Um, my colleague, Nicole Auerbach, wrote a story about the bachelor in college football because there was a strength coach at Stanford, 
who's the ex-boyfriend of the Bachelorette last year, and he had uh, made a surprise appearance on the show to try to win the girl back. And it turned out he had left Stanford during the season to go do that, so she got a she got an exclusive Q&A with him, which was funny because Stanford had gotten a lot of requests for him. After, after that episode aired, Stanford got a lot of media requests saying, hey, we want to talk to this guy. And we hadn't actually put in a request, but they brought it to us, to Nicole, because they knew that Nicole nerded out with, or I guess, I don't know if the Bachelor counts as nerding out, but she tweets about the bad. She tweets about the Bachelor sometimes. So they knew that she understood everything and would handle it in an appropriate way. And so we got that exclusive interview too there. So it's been fun to uh, incorporate some of that stuff into our work in ways that are um, in-depth and not just throwing out lists or to try to tie things together for a funny joke. Like there's an actual story behind these things and it's been fun to, to be at a company that has let us do that. You know, it's been real interesting to watch the growth of the athletic because there can be no doubt when they, the day they announced that could not have gone worse. When, when Stuart and, and, and Chantel and them put out the tweet, like this is the new model America and it, and it, and, and, the pictures were just of white people. <laughs> it, that tweet just did not get over. But then after that, the athletics stuck with it. They didn't let that deter them. They stuck with it. They continued to poach writers who were the very best at what they did uh, from other areas. They worked with some of these writers to take them off beats uh, that they'd been on and put them on new beats to provide fresh new, uh, like, remember the guy who covered the uh, – the Rams uh, for ESPN, I think he got moved to uh, Seattle um, to cover the Seahawks for the Athletic after that. And the Athletic has just slowly but surely, like you said, blown up and people know who it is. What's it been like to be a part of that growth, to to watch the maturation of a company that, that started uh, out of, I guess you could say, necessity, um, as as everyone was quote pivoting to video at that time, um, what do you what's it been like to be there through through the entire growth of this company? Yeah, I mean, when I joined, we only had I think like sixty employees at the time, and now we're now we're over uh, three hundred. And you know, when I, when I started, I, I I knew a lot of coaches through coaching search, and I had to basically explain to all of them what this new thing was. And uh, I go to the coaches' convention every year. In the first year, nobody really knew what it was. I had to explain it. Some coaches don't want to pay, blah, blah, blah. Even coaches who make $5 million don't want to pay. It's just such a mental thing. But uh, you go back the next year, and now everybody knows. Every, we go to schools. Everybody knows who we are now. I, I think the fact that we expanded so massively is that you know, everybody has a pro sports team that they like, and it turns out the athletic is covering that team now. So that, that opens that door for everything else. And um, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I didn't know what to expect when I joined. Like I said, it was, it was a, it was a, um, nobody knew if the model was going to work, uh, all sorts of stuff. And, and, and we, we get through that first year, things go well. And then the business models are working and the company decided to expand rapidly overall and, of last year. So it, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's again, it's, it's a great to work at a place that lets you take your time and go in depth with things. You don't need to rush things out. And, um, and, 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 and 
it's been two going on. It's been a year and a half, I think, 2017. Yeah, coming up on two years. Uh, it's been as good as I could have ever imagined. So let's get into uh, some Captain America debate. Now, yeah, I'm going to let you pose this debate since you brought it to me. Um, all right, so set it up. I'll take the first. I'll, I'll, I'll take the first part, and then you can chime in after that. <clears throat> Let me get my Captain Captain America fingers ready. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Hit me with it. So I, I've always noticed that there's uh, the fandom between the first Captain America and Winter Soldier is so stark. Like people either really like the first one, don't like the second one, or they love Winter Soldier and they hate the first one, and <clears throat> I, I've long been in that first group. And Damian Woody tweeted yesterday, you know, what what other movie is better than Winter Soldier? I said, well, the other Captain America movies to start with. I'm just not that big into Winter Soldier. I mean, it's fine. I like it. I like all of them. All of them are really good. It, it's just low on my list of the rankings. And a, a big part what of that... Is that it I, a, okay, go yeah. ahead. My bad. So a big, a, a big part of this that bothers me is that as S.H.I.E.L.D. is coming undone, none of the other Avengers are involved at all, and I feel like they would be, they should be, they're just not acknowledged. And when you've built this expansive universe where everybody's involved in everything, I feel like it has to be addressed. And there's a line in Iron Man 3 that, I, I like the movie, I know some people don't, I like it, but there's a line in the movie where, where Rhodey and Tony are talking about uh, something going on with the, the president or the vice president or something. And Rhodey says to Tony that the government doesn't want the Avengers in on this because the government wants to show that they can do things on their own. And it was great because that one line really, you can like, every, it just explains away everything else. Well, why, why is somebody else involved? This is why. And that just, it didn't happen in Winter Soldier. I would have, if there was some sort of line as to why Tony doesn't react to Shield coming undone or anything, it, it just that would have uh, that would that that just it hung over it for me that the fact that there's this but who would have been on. there in Winter Soldier because Thor was off world we knew that he got trapped in Asgard so he's out we Tony obviously but who Tony's else the, would Tony Tony's the one especially the relationship okay. he, he has with. With, with Nick. Steve at that time. Yeah, oh, with Nick. Steve, with Nick. The fact that he just is absent is just it's just not acknowledged, uh, just kind of hangs over it for me. I like the story. I like the, I like the story between between um, Bucky and Steve, and it all works. Uh, it's just it's just that one overarching issue is just kind of not addressed, and it just kind of like I said, I still like the movie and everything, but it just it kind of hangs over it for me. So if I if I assume correctly, your rankings for Captain America movies would be the first one, Civil War, and then Winter Soldier. It's or they're, they're, I mean, Civil War and the first Avenger are, are close. I'd probably go Civil War. As I put together my superhero movie rankings, comic book movie rankings, I find myself um, leaning toward a lot of the team ups just for whatever reason. I, I think. Uh, I just personally seem to uh, like that in that expansive connected world. So when something like that doesn't uh, get addressed, it, it bothers me. That's fair enough. I would say 
that Captain America, the first Avenger, is one of my favorite movies for a reason that not a lot of people bring up um, when I talk to them about it, but it's Hugo Weaving. Um, look, Ross Marquand did an absolutely fabulous job with, uh, you know, subbing in for Hugo Weaving in mm-hmm. Infinity War. You almost couldn't even tell the difference. Oh, man, I, I didn't <laughs> even know. I didn't know the difference. Afterwards. <laughs> um but Hugo Weaving, for me, makes Captain America, the first Avenger, one of the greatest movies because of the performance that he delivers. Like, he's one of the most underrated actors that that participates in, in nerd, comics, sci-fi. He just doesn't get his credit for what he did. And it bummed me out on so many levels, though I respect it that he said, you know, I just did, it wasn't my thing. I didn't ha- have the best time doing it, and that's why I didn't want to return. Now, I understand mm-hmm. that. I respect that. Um, he did it. He's done with it. That's fine. But damn it, if he wasn't great in that movie. He just played such a perfect foil to Captain America. The, the, mm-hmm. just, the, the two of them, the, the, the ideology that both of them had, it worked so well and i i i I am on the i love the winter soldier but i'm also one of those guys that acknowledges when there's plot holes or or like i don't care that much for spider-man homecoming because i think they took too many different spider-man stories and tried to mash it all up into one so so that's an interesting point there uh, about uh about expectations and it kind of ties into all this. And one reason I think the MCU was so successful from the beginning is that so with every Batman to Superman movie, everybody has an expectation of what their personal Batman or their personal Superman, their personal Spider-Man is. For the MCU to start off with Iron Man, who was so unknown to general people, it allowed them the opportunity to shape it in a way that they wanted that would not get people upset. Same thing goes with Captain America and everybody else they brought in, I guess, other than Hulk. And I, I think that was, I think that was a key to the success at the time when there were other Batman movies going on and Superman Returns, which was the whole thing of Superman Returns was about the other Superman, uh, the, the the Christopher Reeve Superman. So I, I think once the MCU st- kind of got us out of those same group of heroes into a new group, and it felt refreshing. And I think we saw that with Wonder Woman. I think we saw that with Aquaman. And it's it's why I think people have really enjoyed those movies compared to some of the other DC movies as well. And so you talked there about Spider-Man, about combining different Spider-Man together, because you had that prior knowledge of of Spider-Man. And I personally love the Tobey Maguire trilogy because that was my first real introduction to Spider-Man. Um, but I also love Homecoming. But it's just an interesting... I've always thought this about the MCU is that the idea was, okay, they were building these heroes out of people nobody knew about. How's it going to work? Uh, Zack Snyder, I think it was Zack Snyder, makes that comment about Captain America, who would want to see a Captain America movie or Thor or anything like that. But people were ready for something new, and they did a great job telling those new stories. But I think it turned... It, in hindsight, it was an advantage to kind of start with these new heroes where you could... Agreed. Um, where you could you could direct them the way, mold them the way you wanted to and not towards some some preset expectations. You know, I think it wasn't, 
um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man that actually bothered me. I, I actually thought Tom Holland did a great job in, in Homecoming and in um, Infinity War, uh, also in Civil War as well, since we'd already talked about it. The issue that I had with it is I really felt like they, they took a critical character from the Miles Morales universe and they put him in the Peter Parker universe. So before we even got off the go, they'd already crippled the Miles Morales Spider-Man. And that bothered me. That bothered me because Gank is a huge character in Miles Morales' life. And mm-hmm. now they've made this character uh, who's, who's a composite of, of Gank in Ned um, they've made him Peter Parker's best friend. And, and I think that that bothered me um, for the simple reason that the same uh, what bothered you about them not giving you a throwaway line that explained why the, all the other Avengers weren't in there. Why are they poaching from other characters when they don't need to? Like, you're telling me that Peter Parker doesn't have a universe vast enough that you can't pick uh, – um, somebody from his world you had to steal from Miles Morales? I always that think that's kind of bothered yeah. I always think that's an interesting way of looking at things in terms of is something in a in a comic book movie paying homage to a, a comic book story or is it just stealing the idea? Like Zack Snyder did a lot of this in Batman Batman v Superman, which I personally love, but there's so much Dark Knight Rises in not Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight Returns uh, in that, and so I don't know, I mean, it, you can view that as he's a big comic book fan, he's he's playing off of this great story, you know, oh, how respectful, or is it lazily just picking something that's already there? I don't know, I personally don't mind that, but your your reaction to that just kind of brought that to mind. Yeah, it just, like, I'm not obsessed with it, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's not somebody who's like, hey, you want to watch Spider-Man Homecoming, I'm not going to throw a can of soda at him or something, it just, to me, it bothers me. You know, I, I just, I felt like they could have done a lot with the Spider-Man universe, and they borrowed a lot from Miles Morales's, and I didn't understand that. I think maybe more than not liking it is I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me from a storytelling perspective why they needed those characters and why they couldn't just create fresh characters um, if, if you need another, if you need a composite, you know, you can just create a fresh character. You don't need to take from here or from there. And, and what I think bothered me about it is, is that they introduced the Miles Morales universe while taking yeah. from it. Like, yeah. if you're gonna, if you're going to take from it, then don't introduce the Miles Morales because now it's like, hey, we're acknowledging that this character does exist. But when we get around to telling his story, and we eventually will, so says Sony, um, you're not going to have an entire body of, of, of product to work with because bits and pieces have already been taken out and used by Marvel. So we'll see. We'll see how it – we'll see what happens. But I think I'd have to say that I, I ha- would have Winter Soldier and First Avenger tied, and I would have Civil War after either one of those. Um, Civil War was great, but I also think that they took one of the biggest arcs in all of comic book history and they turned it into a two-hour movie. Like, yeah, but essentially yeah, I mean, a battle. Yeah. <laughs> I get that, but I mean, you have such a 
finite number of movies you can make with these guys. I, I my problem with Civil War was again not how it was relative to the comics, but just I didn't the, the villain uh just it didn't really work for me how it turned out in the end. Oh, like, you know, they build up that you've got all these other super soldiers and then to build up to that and be like, No, just kidding, I want you guys to fight each other I got the idea of it, but it just it felt a little to me, it felt I, like it felt like the whole point of it was to get to where we want. It, it was just used as a way to get to Tony versus Steve, as opposed to it being uh, a, a, a well laid out story. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and Zemo wasn't exactly. I mean, he was fun. He was calculating, but he wasn't the Zemo we all know and love from the comics. I would get that. I would get that. Um, all right, let's drift into, before we get out of here, let's drift into some Captain Marvel, man, because it comes out tomorrow. Now, I've been fortunate enough to catch a press screening, and I know what I feel about it, but heading into this movie, what are your expectations, since we just talked about expectations? What do you think is going to happen? I This is an example of a new character being able to be molded to me, because I don't know it thing about Captain Marvel, really. The only thing I know about Captain Marvel is that I really like the other Captain Marvel in that I really enjoyed the Kingdom Come comic because I was assigned to that in college for a class uh, now known as Shazam. Um, but uh, as for this Captain Marvel, I don't know much of anything. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the idea of... Uh, I have a lack of knowledge here, but the involvement of the Kree and how this maybe ties into the Guardians universe in some way. So... I can't say I know much about uh, it's Kara. Is it Kara? What's her name? Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers. I was thinking Kara. Isn't that the character in Supergirl? Yep. Yeah, that's what Kara I was Dan. Kara Danvers is Supergirl. Carol Danvers is okay. Captain Marvel. I wasn't sure if I was crazy with that. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm sure I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it because I enjoy the hell out of all these. Uh, but I, I have. I'm looking forward to the '90s retro stuff as a 90s kid i'm sure i'm going to enjoy that um i don't know what to expect but i just other than that i'm probably going to really like it just because every single movie in this universe is really good so what have what have you made of of the review bombing that took place on captain marvel to the point where rotten tomatoes had to completely get rid of their interested in not interested in prior to a film's release like do you think that was long overdue from rotten tomatoes like where where do you come down on this you know there was this there was an article four or five years ago maybe on deadspin about it was it was titled gamergate is the future of the culture wars and nothing has been more spot on in predicting what was going to come and this just feels like the latest chapter in that uh, I'm glad. I, I think the Marvel people are handling it okay. Um, as for Rotten Tomatoes, it's good that they finally recognize that this stuff happens because uh, it is. It does cause all sorts of problems, and and it's about time some of these companies are realizing this stuff that's going on and why this stuff matters. To to act like they're just um, just some little thing, you know, all we're like. I don't even know how to describe it. But not that big of a deal. It's not. We're not that powerful. Um, they they are, and and for them to take responsibility to handle these situations is, I think, uh, a, a positive. I guess. What What do you think 
drives this? Because I can't imagine waking up and saying, let's uh, let's get together an organized campaign to bomb this movie. And that's exactly what happened. Like, and I know that misogyny and sexism comes into it, but, but what makes a person decide, like, I'm going to donate months of my time to insisting this movie sucks when I haven't seen it? And why is it that they, everybody waited for Captain Marvel? Like, did, did they... Did they just feel that if they organized this campaign against Black Panther, it would be seen for exactly what it was, racism, whereas they feel more comfortable doing it with a woman? Like, I mean, it kind of feels that way to me. People feel like sexism is more okay than racism, so that's what they go with. So I I have followed a lot of this through your tweeting, so that's my... um... Your foundation, for, 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 yeah, foundation for where this is coming from. But is, is, is this is this all about SJW backlash? Yeah, 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 yeah. Same stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's it's it's. I mean, this all ties into bigger. It, it, we, we we you know we throw the word around sexism, misogyny a lot, but it's it's really just deeper and so far ingrained. You you can not not that this speaks of everybody, but you can tie this into incel culture and you get the same kinds of comments from from people and how far people take it but you know you get you get <laughs> i i get just, enough there's just a, there's, yeah there's just such a there's just such a hatred of celebrating women or, or proud women uh who just celebrate themselves for what they are or someone is celebrated for what they are and that's just another one of these situations and i i remember i remember you and i on twitter kind of talked about how um, this was coming out on International Women's Day, and people were upset about it. And, and whether or not it was on purpose or not, say that it was. So what? What's the problem here? A, 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 a movie about a strong woman superhero. What's wrong with celebrating women? You want to go have your International Men's Day? Then go do that and see what kind of people celebrate it. Like you know, this is not. This is simple stuff here, and everybody. You just try to code your language to try to act like you're not trying to say the thing you're really saying. Yeah, and that's what it exactly feels like to me, is people, like, I've seen people doing this, go see Alita instead, and I'm like, this is not the fallacy of either or. You do not have to choose one or the other. You know, you can you can pay seven fifty to go see Alita and then turn right back around and pay another seven fifty to go see Captain Marvel. If I saw uh, a movie pass, I would have seen both of them. I saw yeah, movies like, and movie I, passes around. I want to see Alita. Like, I really do. I just don't have eternal funds, and I know that I want to see Captain Marvel at least three times, and I'm trying to buy a ticket for just a, a, a random woman. I'm, I'm, like, I, that's something I said I was going to do a couple months ago, and I've still been trying to do it. So, um, some, yeah. some, people, some people feel that women should be in a certain place, and they shouldn't step too far out of line or, 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 or bring too much attention to themselves. And, and that's what they're trying to do when they compare the two movies. It was so weird to me that people, when Bree said, this movie is not for white men, people jumped onto that as that's her being racist. And I'm like, how do you not understand the context there? How do you not understand her saying, look, we've had 20 films that are basically geared towards men. We made one that will make women proud. And people have turned this into 
she's a racist, like, or because she said, I'm, I'm tired of being interviewed by white men about this film. Like, where's the representation? Like, and it makes sense. What she's saying makes sense if you take two seconds to apply an analytical lens to it. And, yes. and you're not immediately viewing it as an attack on your person or your beliefs. Like, Bree's not saying, I would refuse to talk to a white man. She's saying, why aren't there more women interviewing me in a film about women? There, there are certain people who have gone through their entire life where they are the target audience for everything. And when they are not, it's a, it's a personal affront and they don't know how to handle it. Yeah, it's it's so weird to me that, that people can't look at those comments for the critical analysis that it is, and, and it's as if they hear the word white, and they're like, oh, it's an attack against me. Well, if you want to feel that way, then sure, go ahead. But I just feel like that's a uh, – it's a complicated way to live. And I'm by no means – It's an exhausting way to live. I can't <laughs> right? imagine it. It's just, it's so much hatred that you have to roll over from one day to the next where it's just like, don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to enjoy the things? Go watch the film. If you don't like it, simply go on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and say, I didn't like the film. But to pretend that this film is, is social justice or women being shoved in your face when 97 point billion percent of them have not seen the movie. It seems. It seems well, that, that's the other. Me. That's the other part. This. It was. You know. It was a similar deal with the, with the Ghostbusters thing, and it was before the movie comes out. All this stuff happens, and it's like it, when when that happens, you know what this is really about. Especially people who you know haven't seen the movie because it's not even out yet. You know what this is really about when they try to pretend it's something else. Well, let's end the, let's end the conversation on something a little bit more positive. Let's we, do it. We, We've we've talked about Marvel films. Give me your top five. And no or this or that. You have to do a top five in order. This is my favorite film. This is my fifth favorite film. This is this is just Marvel? This is just the MCU. Just the MCU, so we're not including Logan. No, we're not including Logan. But uh, you know what? Actually, screw it. Any Marvel movie that's put out is fair game. Screw it. Let's do okay. them all. Uh, number one is Infinity War. It wasn't the top one when I, when I first saw it, but I've watched it so many times since then, and it's still extremely rewatchable. So that ends up being my number one. Number two is Guardians Two. Uh, I I it took me like four or five viewings before I didn't cry at the end with the funeral. That just got me. Every time, the first three, four times I watched it, it made me laugh. It made me cry. It, I had a whole full spectrum of emotions watching Guardians of the Galaxy two. So that one, I, I have to put that one up at number two. Logan is three. Uh, that movie is just, it's just kick. It's just so brutal. It just kicks you the entire time. I need to watch Logan. I really need to rewatch. You don't need Logan. to. It, 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 every time it, it, there was a period where it would come on HBO. And every time I would watch it, and I would just get so sad watching it. I'm like, why do I keep doing this? But it's so good. It's just to close the book on that character, which has so few characters, so few uh, stories have stayed authentic to that character every single time. He is, he evolves, but it's always true to the character. 
there's so many times in pro wrestling where I hate when something happens and it's like doesn't fit the character. Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, perfect fit, perfect ending, just everything. Number four, Ragnarok. Still watch it a billion times. Hilarious. Uh, it was really fun to see Chris Hemsworth really come out of his shell. Um, the, the director playing Korg, I think was his name. Hilarious. Just so good. I absolutely love the movie. And then number five, I don't have a, I don't have a hard number five, but I guess I'll go with uh, the first Avengers. Still holds up really well, uh, even with everything that has come after it. But right on the edge of there are Iron Man one. Uh, and, and Black Panther are also right there. So those are my top five Marvel movies. But since I, I got to throw this out there since I'm on a comic book podcast. Is that Batman versus Superman was good? I will defend it to my death. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I really like that movie, and I will stand for it until the end of time. Yes, you and I have actually had conversations about it. Like, with me, with Logan, I need to rewatch it because I I didn't enjoy it at first. It had nothing to do with the fact that Logan died. I just, I thought it was weird, um, noir kind of. But that, yeah. I think that was my first reaction to it. And we talked about that on, early on the show. These reactions, these, these uh, uh, what, what, what were we calling them? The, the, the expectations that we have of these characters. So did and, you go, I mean, did you go into that? thinking about old man Logan? You know, I kind of did. I kind of went into it watching, thinking of old man Logan. But at the same time, I wasn't sure if they were going to pick up the pieces from uh, from the Wolverine and then tie it back into what we had seen. I can't remember. Did Apocalypse come out before Wolverine, or did Wolverine? I think Wolverine came out before Apocalypse, uh, right? I, yeah, I think so. And I know it's a, it gets a little weird there too, with because they reset the timeline to Days of Future Past, but they still reference the New York. They still reference what happened in New York, and I know the X Men timeline is so off that uh, that you don't really know where Logan totally fits in it. But I think it handled it well. Yeah, it probably really did handle it well. And the other thing too is. I, I, I'm a big fan of Laura Kinney, um, X-23, uh, mm-hmm. who was, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, the, the, the little Wolverine, the Wolverine that was going to continue. Um, so I just thought, I thought the film was kind of avant. I thought it was kind of weird, which says to me that I need to watch it again, because I think my expectations in there were just, I expected way too much, and it just, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it, it, yeah. I, it, you know, there was, you know, I know there's a whole thing about how making comic book movies rated R or do it just to do it, but it, it you kind of, it had, you had to do it with, if you were going to do it, to do it, to close out Logan worked, man, that movie is brutal. There is so much blood and so much stabbing in that movie, but you needed that because you, you, you really, you, you just, you, I at least felt it throughout that entire thing. You know, he's living in El Paso. He's driving this Chrysler limo. Just things are shitty, and the world is going on around him. Um, just, you know, I just thought it was – the story was great. They, they explained – I wish they had made it a little bit more clear as to why all the mutants were gone. It was because of what they did in the corn syrup and everything, and that made sense, and it tied all together. Um, but, I think that's uh, the part where I was confused. I'm like, what, what happened to, like – 
I yeah, they like only should have had a movie where, yeah, where they the don't make it clear. They don't really right. They don't really make it totally clear until the end. Now there there are. Well, that's part. That's why there's no more mutants. I I, I like, I, I like that they tease that Professor X killed a lot of them because he was going through what he's going through, and they reference it. They, they you hear about it on the radio, and then he turns it off. And that's the other part. Patrick Stewart, uh, Professor X. For, for anyone who's ever dealt with a a grandparent who is at the end of their life and maybe is having uh, you know, Alzheimer's or stuff like that. Now, that's true. That that that, that, that that was that, they nailed that as, as someone who's gone through it. Like you could really the way he reacts to him, has to carry him to the bathroom and stuff like that. Just they, they, that was a really heavy part that really. Um, I guess humanizes Professor X. Well, we see him as this all-knowing guy, and then to see how frail and messed up he is at the broken, end, broken, yeah, was 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 um, very powerful. You know, and I—that's probably the right way to look at it. Like, I think there was a part of me that didn't quite understand what happened to everybody, why they were gone, and what else was supposed to happen. Um, yeah. So he but, says. Yeah, he says at the end when he shoots the doctor. He says if we could put it in people's drinks, that got rid of the mutant gene. And there's earlier when they're at the farm and they're talking with the robots, harvesting all the corn and everything. And so you kind of get it at the end. Um, that that Basically, Professor X killed a lot of them, and they got rid of the mutant gene through corn syrup, and that's why there's nobody else left. Yeah, it's... All right, let me see. Let me rank my films. I think I would have... I would uh I would have I want to put Infinity War at number one. Um, I think I would have Infinity War at number one. I would probably have Brian Singer's X Men, the first one. Uh, That's really the one, good. The one that brought it sort of superhero movies into the mainstream. Well, are are you one of those people that hate uh, X Men three? Uh, <laughs> I didn't think it was really well done because it was way too blockbustery. But at the same time, if you accept it for what it is and accept that this is what they were trying to go for, or they were trying to make it just this big bash of characters all having fun, then it's really not a bad movie. But yeah, I, I, when, I liked it. I, 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 thought the, it. I thought the I thought the storyline with Gene in there was 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 pretty good. The other yeah. parts, I, I understand the the, the problem, but I, I thought it was pretty good. Juggernaut was my main complaint because they just made him a, a cut character. dude. Yeah, <laughs> like come on, man. Juggernaut is not a cut dude. Like he's I the mountain. That. Okay, he's the mountain. If you're gonna cast a normal guy to play him, then you need to cast the mountain. Um, but I would probably have that at number two. I would put Black Panther at number three. Um, I just thought the whole production of that was just incredible. It's a, yeah, um, it's on Netflix now. I keep rewatching it. And and Michael B. Jordan, man, I I can't say enough about that dude as an actor. And no matter what he does, with the exception of Fahrenheit 451, I wish that. They, yeah, I wish they would have kept Killmonger alive the same way they did at the end of Aquaman. Well, he's going to be in the sequel. Yeah, I guess. So I guess we'll see what happens. But I, I find it, I find it interesting that Aquaman was almost the same movie uh, in terms of the characters, but they kept both of them alive. See, I thought Aquaman was close to Tron. 
if you look at the story of uh, Tron, I kind of felt like <laughs> it borrowed rather heavily from Tron, straight up to the point where it had, like, the first battle between Clue and uh, and Sam in the light grid. Like, they had that first battle, and then they have the second battle where it's all huge, and, and yeah, it was just... I don't know. I, I, I loved Aquaman. I had such a great time seeing that film, and I hope they release it in 3D because I have a 3D TV, and I would definitely buy it on 3D if they did. I, I just absolutely loved that film. Um, number four for Marvel, I would probably have the original Guardians of the Galaxy because it was just such a different film than I'd ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And then number five, I don't know if I would have Spider-Man, the original, or Captain America, First Avenger. I'm going to put Spider-Man in there. Uh, Spider-Man, the original, with Tobey Maguire, just because, I mean, let's be real, that was one of the best superhero movies we'd all ever seen. When it it came was, out. and, and I'm, I, I love that uh, that uh, Into the Spider-Verse is kind of in the Tobey Maguire-verse. Oh, wow, that sucks, man. I guess Alex they, Trebek was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Oh, that's tough. That sucks. Uh, what were you going to say? Um, uh, Sp- uh, Spider-Man. Uh, the Into the Spider-Verse is uh, part of the Maguire-verse. Because yeah. they referenced Spider-Man 3 in there. So that was nice because I like – I'm one of the very few people who liked Spider-Man 3 as well. So I actually didn't think Spider-Man 3 was that bad. I thought Topher Grace uh, was a horrible Venom. If you want to take here, I actually thought Topher Grace's Venom was better than uh, Tom Hardy's. What's his name? But not because it was Tom Hardy's fault. I And, and not re- – again, not relative to expectations of comics, but there was – there was a much clearer motivation for Ven- for for Eddie Brock in Spider-Man 3 than there was in the Venom movie, which was kind of weird. And I liked the end, but it was weird throughout the movie. But I really liked Spider-Man 3. I still I tear up when, when, when Harry dies at the end. I think the music in that scene is really good as well. And you kind of had to... I, I liked how they took uh, Peter to kind of a dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 brought him back, and it was it was just it was a little different. I thought it was a I thought it was a good way to to cap it. Although I know a lot of people a lot of people didn't like the dancing scene. It's ridiculous, but that's kind of the point. Like it's right. supposed to show how off track he is, and and so I I, I like that. That was that it kind of took it in a different direction. Yeah, you know what? It, it, the, the clear motivation for Venom. That's one of the things that they they did very well with those movies. Is everything was very clear. Everything was very direct. You knew why different characters were doing what they did. I actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to replace Spider-Man at five with Spider-Man two because of Alfred Molina's Doc Ock. Alfred Molina's Doc Ock was probably one of the best villains that nobody talks about because Alfred Molina played the scientist side so well. Yeah. He really built up Doc Ock as a scientist first and a villain second. Yeah. And I think that was, uh, man, they just, they just such a good, come on, Sam. Come on. Come on. I can see you looking at the side of that chair like you're going to mark it. Come on, buddy. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned that. 
making him a, a scientist first and a villain second. That's what Mar the MCU has been so good at is making these superheroes people first and heroes second. And that was the mm-hmm. problem. With, that was the problem with what Zack Snyder was doing. He was making people heroes first and people second. And I think Henry Cavill, in the little time we got of him, was a very good Clark Kent. We just didn't get any. We just didn't get a lot of Clark Kent. I thought Ben Affleck was a very solid old man Bruce. Uh, when we got it in Batman versus Superman. And, you know, my – so that's that's so important. You know, we, we refer to Captain America as, even in this conversation, as Steve. We don't just say Captain America. We we don't, we, we always refer to say Batman and Superman. We rarely say uh, Bruce Wayne or Clark Kent. And actually, like, my favorite TV show of all time is Smallville because that was, that was about the person. And so when I look at Superman, it's shaped through – Smallville and the characters in that show, and I just really liked when they developed the the human side of of, of these heroes. I mean, I've got a, I have a I have a Superman tattoo because of that because of that show, and we, and actually played a um uh, a song from Clark and Lois's wedding at at our wedding when we got married because that show I just really loved it. So that, back to Alfred Molina being the the scientist first and the the villain second. You're right, and I definitely agree with that. I just hope that they continue to do that as they push forward with these characters. They've done it really well with the Pims. They've obviously done it with Stark. They yeah. set up Shuri to be the scientist that she is. Um, so, so we're and and after Endgame, we're supposed to get a uh, you know a, 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 a at least a sneak peek supposedly um, at what Marvel has planned. Um, with their upcoming movies, but from what I know of, you know, they're 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 looking more towards the cosmic side to expand that out. So while we will get some Earth-based stuff, I'm kind of worried that we're going to lose the science as we move more towards the fantastic. But at least Marvel did a great job of 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 setting these characters up as scientists. So if nothing else, if directors don't uh, follow through on on, you know, the scientific side of things, you are going to have fans asking, where did that go? Where did that go? So I kind of feel like introducing it sort of throws down the gauntlets for these other directors to sort of take it and make it their own. And um, I'm just hopeful with with two of the franchises because we don't know really what's going to happen with Thor. Like, we kind of have to wait until after Endgame to see which of the, the original characters make it out and which of them don't to have a better idea of where these characters are going to go. But Chris Hemsworth was just about done with the character until Taika Waititi came along and uh, turned Thor into what we know now, the, the fun-having, sort of quick-witted, uh, sometimes very aloof Thor that, that we know and love. And I, and I think that, um, oh, I know Chris Hemsworth was, had said after that performance, he's like, now this is what I want to do more of. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that brings Bat Hainsworth to the fold. Who do you think's going to die in Endgame? That'll be our. That'll be one of my final questions to you. Who do you I, think's going to die? And, uh, and we, we 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 had this conversation on Twitter about how I think you mm-hmm. and about how Thanos dies, and I think it's I think Steve dies in some sort of uh, sacrificial way, um, and I, I think that I think that's how. It's, going to happen maybe maybe tony as well not sure i don't think they'll show off tony i i think i think i think kevin america steve does it in a sacrificial way just because it would fit the character 
And in, uh, I, although I would be curious to see how they tie Steve and Thanos together because they don't have much of any relationship at all uh, so far compared to, like, Thor and Thanos. And so uh, I, a lot of people said Thor was going to do it. I could see why. Um, but my guess is I, I, I guess they bring everybody back, but the only one who dies is Steve in a, in a sacrificial way. I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take. Uh, although, although I, I'll say Vision Vision stays dead as well. You think Vision stays dead? Yes. I, I I think Vision doesn't stay dead. Um, I think because they introduced him in in two. Like he's one of the newer Edge characters, even though Paul Bettany has technically been around uh, since the beginning when you know playing Jarvis. So, and, and, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, he needs theoretically he needs the stone, except for Bruce did explain that maybe he could be Vision without the stone, and that was set up to make you think he could survive in Infinity War. But maybe that becomes the reasoning for why he comes back. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's going to be uh, Tony that goes bye bye. Um, I think Steve just puts the shield down. Um, although it would make sense for Captain America to finally die, I think people do want to see that. Uh, but I think it's. Tony. I mean, we don't want to see it, but we'll we'll appreciate the story. <laughs> I, I think I think the cut scene at the end of Endgame is they're going to kill Thanos, but at the end of Endgame, we're going to finally get a cut scene with Death, with with Mistress it, Death. Is so is Death going to be? You know, and Death Death will or won't be Hella. No, I don't think death is going to be Hela. Hela's the goddess of death, but Mistress Death is is the living embodiment of death. Even sure. in the comics, there there was a separation between the right. two. While Hela does have some dominion over the dead, it's not quite as pronounced as Mephisto or Mistress Death herself. And I think that Hela would. We've never seen any interest in 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 Hela meeting up with Thanos. But then again, I don't know. Uh, it would be cool to see Kate Blanchett back on screen saying, you know, just some throwaway line like they always do with these things. Like, I'm not finished with you yet. You know, you still have much more to do for me. <laughs> um, just something like that. It would be great if you see Kate Blanchett's face. But I think it'll be Mistress Death because they are looking at bringing in the Eternals. They're looking – we've already introduced – Celestials, so I, I think they're going to get more fantastic, and death makes sense. Like you, you need to have Mister Death. Yeah, I just, it, I guess it kind of, if you want to bring in the the afterworld, not from a specific comic standpoint, but just in general, the idea of an afterworld, and because if you're going to show that, the implication is going to be that Thanos could be back in some form. Um, yeah, down the line. And, That's and, the hope. I, I. I Breaking kayfabe, I don't know how much these actors. I try not to pay attention to their contracts and stuff like that, but I, you know, is Josh Brolin going to keep doing Thanos? I don't know if if they're going to go into. I guess I, I, you're right that I'm very curious where the Marvel universe goes from here. I kind of, I mean, you kind of want it to end here because it would be a good end point, and when you're going to get off and off into these shoot fringe things, it's going to be extremely complex, but. You know, it's Disney. It's about making money, and I, I understand why they would never want to end this either. Yeah, I think I think you bring up a great point about the contracts, and I also think that's why Disney stopped announcing them. It's because people were able to 
Yeah, I don't want to you know, know that. I don't want spoilers or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, we. I think the last major contract that we that we knew of was uh, Sebastian Stan, who was under a nine film deal, um, with Marvel. So I I think Sebastian Stan is going to become the new Captain Marvel, or not Captain Marvel, Captain America. Yeah. Uh, even though I would personally give the shield to Sam. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We'll find out. Um, well, hey, before we get out of here, before I let you go, let me go ahead and do this and give you the opportunity to let people know, A, uh, any upcoming articles or any upcoming projects that you want to make people aware of, and B, where they can find you on social media. Yeah, I mean, spring fo- I mean, obviously I cover college football. Spring football's coming up. Uh, we got all sorts of stuff going on there at theathletic.com or, or under the college football section. Uh, I cover a group of five. Um, so I've got some, some Q and A's coming up with, with some of the, the new head coaches and some other things uh, planned down the works. Um, you can get, if you don't have a subscription, it's three bucks a month. We got all sorts of deals going on. You can scroll down my Twitter feed. You'll find it. It's theathletic.com slash spring FB 40. You can get a special deal for three bucks a month and it gives you access to everything in the athletic pro sports, soccer, college, Everything is really an insane deal, and there's no advertising on the site. It's very simple and smooth to read. I'm on Twitter at at, at Chris Vanini, C-H-R-I-S-V-A-N-N-I-N-I, and I'll have, um, as it says in my Twitter bio, I'll have a lot of football stuff on there, but also photos of uh, various dogs that we own or foster and uh, pro wrestling and comic book uh, movie stuff. Yeah, the Icelandic sheepdog uh, pics are worth the follow alone. Um, if you if you don't follow Chris, that's that's my second favorite puppy feed aside from my own, and I rate dogs or we rate dogs. Um, I I I I want to hold one of those Icelandic sheep puppies and just pet it. Um, all right. So my final question to you is completely off the, so far off the reservation. Where does City finish this year? Uh, you mean in the in the Premier League? In the Premier League, we win. Uh, I mean, I gotta say first, I, I thought they were done, but Liverpool's been kind of a mess, and I all the, I know all these uh, various cup tournaments are, are stretching City thin a bit, but uh, at this point, I'm gonna pick them to to, to win it, uh, just because everybody else kind of seems Liverpool seems to be faltering a little bit, and hopefully City has its annual dud period behind it. I agree. I agree. Well. Um, this has been another episode of Third Nerd. I want to thank Chris for loaning me at least an hour and a half of his time. Um, we will be back um, with – we are currently setting up an interview with uh, Sean McKeever, who wrote, uh, among other things, the Ricky Barnes series uh, and, and, and various other uh, stories from Marvel, Onslaught Unleashed, uh, and I'm looking very much forward to sitting down with him. And we have an interview with Becky Clunan upcoming. So be sure to keep it plugged right here. And uh, I want to thank Chris again, man. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a great time. All right, guys. Well, we will be back next time. So uh, keep it locked right here. Uh, I want to thank Will Quick Spreaker for hosting us. Uh, so keep it locked right here on Spreaker. And we will be back next week with an all-new Third and Nerd.